When was the last time you were really, really thirsty? Maybe you're starting to think about it now. Your throat gets really dry. Your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. And all you can think of is, oh, I need a drink. I can't talk. It's so hoarse. I really, my mouth is so dry. I should have brought some water up here with me. (laughs) So talk about that. There are a lot of millions of, actually millions of dollars are spent every year trying to sell us various kinds of liquid refreshments. I, I debated um, showing you a, a really cute Coke commercial uh, that aired a, a couple of years ago where there's all kinds of fighting on the internet and, you know, the stuff that goes on in social media, trolls and trashing and things like this. And somewhere in, the, somewhere in a, the back room of a server, someone accidentally spills Coke into the computer circuits and it magically transformed the internet. And so everyone is coming out peace and love because Coca-Cola changes everything. We know that, right? Yeah, or maybe not so much. People are thirsting for reality. They're, they're thirsting for something that's true and good and brings wholeness to our lives. We're thirsting for that. We're thirsting for something that, that helps us make sense of the world and brings meaning to life, where it just makes sense. And we're thirsting to be known and loved as we are. We often present an outward persona so people won't reject us, so we'll fit in. But inside, we're wondering, does anybody really know? And if they really knew what I was really like, what would happen? And would I still be loved? Would I still be accepted? And there's this thirst for relationship that's hardwired into the human spirit. This morning, we're going to talk about the drink that always satisfies. Here's a backstory. We're, uh, I'm going to be reading from uh, John chapter 4, and I'm going to get you to turn to the Pew Bibles. I forgot. Could someone tell me what page that is? John chapter 4, really quickly. You win a prize, a free coffee next Sunday at 10 o'clock at uh, Elam Chapel, Starbucks. 811, page 811. If you want, if, this might be a good idea. You can just keep your finger in page 811 and follow along because we're going to rip through the whole chapter. It's an amazing story. Here's what's going on. Here's the backstory. Jesus is down in Jerusalem. See the bottom of the map here? And uh, there's a bit of pressure and controversy mounting, and he needs to go back to his home country of Nazareth where he grew up in Galilee. The only problem is that he had to go through Samaria. Samaria was the part of the country, it's like that part of town where as you drive through town, you make sure your doors are locked. Or if you're walking to, you're always kind of watching over your shoulder. Or you clutch your belongings a little tighter and you just sort of walk through because you're not sure. Those people live in Samaria. I don't know what your Samaria is. 
and I know that's a real can be a real point of tension. But just give me a little, uh, especially in Winnipeg. But I, I want to give you a little background story about the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. There was 400 years of bad blood between these two nations. Religious, racial strife. 400 years of despising each other. They barely tolerated each other. But geographically, ironically enough, they were just right next to each other and they kind of had to make the best of it. So Jesus and his disciples, it was about a three-day journey from Jerusalem up to Nazareth. They were walking through Samaria. And in one especially hot day, at noon, just when the sun is at its peak, they stop. And they stop at a place called Sychar, where a, a, a well Jacob's well, it's got a lot of biblical history, been there for hundreds of years. They stop for a break. Jesus needs his space, his solitude. So he sends all his boys, his entourage, into town to buy some food, and he's sitting by this well, just resting. So it's in the, it's in the middle of the day, in the Middle East, and it's blazing hot. There's an old Noel Coward song. Do you know this song? An old show tune called Mad Dogs and Englishmen Go Out in the Midday Sun. And it goes on and on. It's quite funny and amusing and droll. Well, Jesus wasn't crazy and he wasn't English, but there he was out in the midday sun. Blazing hot. And no one else was around because all the smart people were inside in the shade. And people would come and gather water in the early morning and in the evening when it's cool because every day people will be drawing water from the well, right? But no one else would be coming in the middle of the day unless, unless there was something wrong. And this is what happened next. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. This is high noon. This lady was not accepted by her community. And we'll find out a little later on why. But she was shunned. Normally in the morning, in the evening, in that society, the regular chore of drawing water every day became kind of a social outlet and where you connect with your neighbors. It was early kind of... It's almost like social media, in a sense, where you gather and chat and catch up in the village gossip and see what was going on, and kids would play, and, and the, generally the women would go and gather water in the morning and in the evening because it's so hot there, you've got to be doing that physical labor when it's relatively cool. It's supposed to be a twice-a-day kind of event, kind of ritual. But anyone who is shunned or isolated would not feel comfortable because the stares and the looks and the gossip and the judgment and outright hostility would be right there in their face. So this woman was coming alone in the heat of the day because she obviously she needed water and she was desperate for it. But there was something going on here, something deeper going on than just one person coming to get water. 
This person, this woman had been rejected by her community. She was isolated. Samaritan woman comes to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman says, You're a Jew, and you're asking me for a drink? Now, this, I think the expression here is more of surprise and shock than this woman despising Jesus. Because these kind of things just were not done. Because Jews and Samaritans had been engaging in mutual hatred for so long, she was shocked. This is such a tense situation, we can't appreciate it in our culture here. Even today, though, in that part of the world, an unrelated man and a woman talking together in public would cause a great scandal. Luann and I have a friend um, who grew up in Jordan, and he said, in that culture, you get an unmarried, uh, a man and a woman who are not related to each other talking in public. People automatically assume they're up to no good. There's something shady going on here. This is not appropriate. And some men don't even talk to their wives in public. It's just, that's what the culture is like. So we can't fully appreciate how out of the ordinary and almost culturally out of bounds Jesus is being by talking to this woman. And that's why she reacts that way. First of all, you're a man, you're a Jew, and, and we're talking in public. What, what, what are you doing? And <laughs> it's interesting. It said, why are you asking me for a drink? Because the, the segregation, the, the separation between these races was so profound. Um, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus said, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You say, lady, you don't really know who you're talking to, and I understand that, but if you know who I really was, you'd be asking me for a drink of, of living water. Now, the woman didn't understand him clearly because in that culture, the phrase living water also could mean um, well water, or, or sorry, spring water, water that's flowing and clean and fresh and good to drink. So she thought, aha, maybe this guy has a secret source. There's, they're sitting by a well that's deep, and the water's decent to drink, but spring water is the best, right? Maybe this guy's got an inside track. Where, where can you get this living water that you're talking about? Look, sir, you've got no bucket. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor, Jacob? Jacob, Jacob's ancestry to, to both of them went back well before the dispute between the Jews and Samaritans. So at least they shared that ancestry together. Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons? This segregation that we're talking about parallels this picture from the American, deep American South taken several decades ago where they literally had white and colored separate water fountains and you weren't allowed to mix. Now I hope that fills you with horror and disgust 
that's kind of public institutionalized racism. But as we all know, we struggle with racism here in our city as well. And it's wrong for us to judge other societies when we struggle with a similar issue. Our, our racism can be more hidden and subtle, but we have these barriers that we put up against people who are different from us in some way, right? Jesus is breaking these barriers in this story. He's intentionally breaking these barriers because he has a source of living water that goes way beyond H2O that we need for our daily existence. This is the water that really counts, that really transforms people. Jesus said to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water in this well will be thirsty again. It's a frustrating thing. I mean, we're supposed to drink several liters of water a day, right? And you can have one drink and it feels good, but you know, in a short period of time, you're going to be thirsty again, and you repeat the process. But those people who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And now he's got this lady's attention, I think. And she's trying to figure Jesus out. The woman said to him, well, well then give me this water. So I'll never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. I don't like having to haul water in the middle of the day when it's so hot because my neighbors despise me and judge me and make my life a living hell. So I would love to have some kind of magical pipeline into this water that you're talking about. Give me some of that, please. And Jesus says, okay. Good. Well, call your husband and come back. And now the conversation gets really uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable before. Now it gets really awkward. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. Actually, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with right now is not your husband. Oh, why, when Jesus talks like this, why did people keep inviting him to dinner parties? You know, like, has a guy got no social graces? Like, in a private one-on-one conversation, he is gently and honestly and respectfully calling this lady out and saying, Ma'am, I know who you are, and this living water is available to you, but I know, I know your past. It's here. It's interesting that some commentators that I read when I was studying for this really slammed this woman, and I think it's almost misogynistic or womanating in the way they, they come at her. They make her sound some terrible, loose woman, and, and, and the fact that she had had five husbands. But in the reality, in that culture... The only person who could initiate a, re- a divorce in a relationship was the man. Puts things in a different light. For whatever reason, this woman had been through five different relationships. And relationship number six may not be going particularly well. Because there's no stability there. 
And I think she was feeling very insecure and very ashamed. And the neighbors taught, she was a subject of gossip in the community and shunned and living in such an isolated state. And yet, in this conversation with this strange man in the middle of the day, she begins to see the light a little bit. And this man knows her. He knows what's going on in her life. He's not judging her. He's just saying this. And this lady was not some cougar prowling on men. I think the fact that she had been in all these relationships and was bouncing from man to man, she had been rejected many times and now is shunned by society. I think a lot of this was not of her own choosing. And these things had happened to her. And yet Jesus is speaking to her and offering her this living water. And how does she respond? What you said is true. You know, to her credit, she didn't cover up. You know, when God exposes us, when we're exposed and open before God, when he calls us, calls us on our stuff, you know what the best response is? I'll tell you what my plan is. I plan to throw myself on the mercy of the court. Say, yeah, you got me. You're right. Okay? What you've said is true. So when God exposes the stuff that we don't want to see publicly exposed, the stuff that's going on inside here, our best response is, what you've said is true. And she goes on to say, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. It's like she sees. She spiritually is getting it, right? In, in John's gospel, the, the idea of getting someone gaining their sight isn't just a physical thing. It's like a spiritual sight, a revelation going on. It's like, ah, the light goes on. I get it. Just like when you turn the light on in a dark room, you can see, right? So she sees. I, sees you're, I see you're a prophet. Now, our ancestors, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain. There was a lot of religious controversy about where to worship God. There were rival temples and all this back and forth. But you say, the Jews, that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. She wants to kind of get into a religious controversy. I think she's intrigued with Jesus, and she wants to know really where to worship God. She's kind of confused, but religion... And the outward practice of trying to gain approval with God is getting in the way. It's almost like you get in a conversation where you're trying to tell people about Jesus and how to have a, revel- a, a, a relationship, and they throw up the barriers. Well, I'm a this, or I'm a that. I'm a Lutheran. We don't do things that way. I'm a Catholic. I don't, I'm a Baptist. We don't think that do things that way. I, I'm a this. I, I put up these labels. And I think this what this lady is starting to do a little bit. She's intrigued with being drawn into the truth, but she's not quite sure. And sometimes in conversation, people will throw these things into you, into the, into the mix. And they may be genuine or they may be a red herring. But Jesus says to her, look, Lady, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He's saying, don't get stuck and hung up on religious labels. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. Then he goes on and says, The hour is coming and is now here, actually. There's a new day. There's a new sheriff in town. There's new, there's new protocol, uh, a new way of connecting with God. And here it is. You need to worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What is Jesus saying? We have to worship him with what's inside, not external rituals. Now, those external rituals might reflect how we feel inside, or they might not. You can go through the motion. You can show up in church every Sunday and go through the motions, and people may not be able to guess what's going on. And in fact, it's not really our job. It's not my job to, gee, I wonder what's going on in that person's mind. That's really between them and God. And you can try the same with me. Good luck. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a hard person to figure out. I haven't even figured myself out yet. But you can do that if you want. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is that we need to worship in spirit, like what's inside and in truth. That's why he was so brutally honest with this lady. It may have sounded a little bit rude when he said, well, actually, you've had five husbands. He didn't say it to humiliate her. He's just saying, well, let's get the stuff on the table, right? Because we all have our stuff. Let's get it on the table. Let's be honest before God. So when we worship God, we need to come focusing on what's inside us and in truth. We just need to put our stuff on the table. Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what's going on. So we need to worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. That's good. I'm looking forward to that. Even the Samaritans believed in in the Messiah that God was going to show up in human form and set everything right, and that was going to be great. And when he comes... He will proclaim all things to us. Like, things will be good when the Messiah comes. And what does Jesus say to her? You're looking at him. Bingo. Here he is. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. How do you think she felt at that point? Wow. This man who called her on her past and her present and talking about how to really connect with God. It wasn't, it's not about external, where you worship, or religious procedures. It's all about spirit, what's inside, and being honest with our Creator. How do you think she's feeling? Face to face with the Messiah at this point. Just then, <laughs> just then, the boys come back from their shopping trip into town. And they're going, oh! They were astonished that he was talking with a woman. Again, that that just underlines how culturally this was not appropriate. But they were, you know, as usual, they were like, nobody wants to be the first to say, uh, what are you doing? You know, why are you talking to a woman? They're all like looking at each other. Ooh, this is awkward. And then, then the woman leaves her water jug. The whole point of the trip of the voyage out to the, the Jacob's well, that she just left it right there. So you know she's coming back. And she went back to the city. She said to the people, now these are, this is so interesting, the people who despised her, 
the people who looked down on her, the people who gossiped about her. I mean, this lady, when there's nothing to do in a small town, what do you do? You talk about the other people around. And she was a prime object of conversation. And even if you didn't like the other people you're talking to, you could both agree that she was at the bottom of the ladder. Right? So she got everyone's... She was despised by everyone. A yet... Such a transformation had taken place in this woman's heart. She didn't care about the judgment, right? She didn't care. And I could just see her banging on people's doors. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. And people are going, Well, yeah, we know what you've done. But she says, Come and, tell, come and see this man. He can't be the Messiah, can he? Come, you've got to check this guy out. I'm so intrigued with what people's first impressions was. Here is this unsavory woman that people like, oh, don't let your children get too close. You might be contagious. You know, we talk about this. Don't be like her. And this woman's pounding on doors saying, you've got to meet this guy who's told me everything I've ever done. Is this the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for? She must have been convincing because they all leave the city. And they're on their way to meet with Jesus. In fact, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I had ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, and he stayed there two days, teaching about how to have a relationship with the living God and breaking down these barriers of racism and, and, and despising people and hatred. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, Now it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, because now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Wow. What an amazing story. That Jesus sits down with the woman who's been rejected all of her life, the barriers, and a human, humanly speaking, are so great between these two people, and Jesus breaks them down. Centuries of shame and despising and just walls that have built up and generation to generation to generation, they're all obliterated because God shows up in human form, said, Hey, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And they got talking about physical water, H2O. Uh, about 60 to 65% of us is water. By the way, if you're a Winnipegger, where does Worcester water come from? Shoal Lake, right? Other folks where there's been centuries and, you know, decades of barrier and hatred there. And God's breaking down those barriers. Lord willing, they're going to get their road. They're going to get decent water. We're getting somewhere, which is good. That, I think, is a start, a brick in building a bridge of of racial reconciliation in this country, and we can be a part of that. But this conversation starts out with about H2O, ordinary drinking water that we all need. But this woman needed something more right? She could, she could get drinking water. That wasn't really her need. Her need was this living water that changes us from the inside out. 
that helps us worship God in spirit and in truth. I don't know what you're thirsty for today. I really don't know. We try to satisfy our thirst in so many different ways, don't we? Some of us try to find it in the refrigerator. We go a few times too often to satisfy a hunger that's not really a physical hunger. It's an emotional, spiritual hunger. Or some of us go online to look at stuff that drags us down, that objectifies people. We're so caught up in pornography, we can't get out of it. The English writer G.K. Chesterton said about a century ago, the man who knocks on the door of the brothel is really looking for God. So when we get caught up in pornography, we're really looking for it to fill that spiritual hole in us. And the same with drugs and alcohol and shopping and overwork and the things we do to numb ourselves to the pain that we feel inside. This lady was feeling numb. It's the only way she could cope with her shame. Jesus comes along and lovingly exposes the truth about her. And she goes away and tells the people who despise her and are judging her, you've got to meet this guy. I can't believe he told me everything about me. And yet he does not reject me. You've got to meet this man. What are you thirsty for today? What are you thirsty for? It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for a long time or maybe a relatively short time or maybe you haven't really started. Maybe you're just checking things out to see if this Christianity thing makes sense. That's legit. What are you thirsty for today? What are you doing? What things are you doing that, that are artificially trying to fill those holes, trying to satisfy that spiritual thirst? Those things really aren't going to satisfy. They're not. A relationship with the Creator, having that freedom and acceptance and walking in that gracious, loving relationship with God will satisfy. That's, that's guaranteed, friends. It's guaranteed. Let's read these last few verses together. Together with me. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come. Take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me and you will find life. I want us to take a minute just to close our eyes and say, God... Let's close our eyes for a minute, okay? Ask God to show you what you've been trying to satisfy that spiritual thirst with. This is Lent. It's a good opportunity to pay attention to our spiritual lives, right? What have you been trying to satisfy your spiritual thirst with that's not from God?
Father, I pray that you would forgive us for trying to replace the living water of Jesus with other things that do not satisfy. We repent of all these things. We cast them aside and we choose to walk away with them, from them, with your help. Now, friends, ask Jesus to fill you with his living water, with his presence, with his spirit. Lord, we're dry, we're thirsty, we need you. We pray that your spirit will fill us and satisfy every thirsty and seeking soul here today. Show up in unexpected ways. We give you permission to enter our lives and fill us to overflowing. Show us how to seek you and build that relationship and draw on your strength and your refreshment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.